0: Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of the Confessions of a Crappy Christian podcast. I'm your host and resident crappy Christian, Blake Gishay, and I'm so pumped to be bringing you season two of this show, packed full of more people telling incredible stories of who God is and what he's done. Today's interview is with Stephanie Lobdell. Stephanie is a pastor and writer who serves as the campus pastor at Mount Vernon Nazarene University. She's super open about her struggles with mental health coming from a place of leadership. And today, that's exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about struggling with mental illness when you're in a place of leadership. And it's a really great conversation. Stephanie, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me. I'm super pumped to have this conversation about vulnerability so the the title of your episode is for when you want to be vulnerable healthily right yeah so okay like we all agree like vulnerable vulnerability is important but we want to do it well and we want to do it in a way that is healthy and and sets an example of healthy vulnerability so i think this is going to be a really incredible conversation i'm really looking forward to it to get us started tell us about you tell us about your story your ministry you have a book signs of life super pumped about that
1: Yeah. Uh, so yeah, my name is Stephanie. Um, I have been a pastor for, um, almost 11 years now, 10 and a half years. So for 10 and a half years or so, my husband and I were co-lead pastors. So um, we actually share the office of lead pastor. We would alternate preaching and did that ministry together for 10 and a half years in two different churches. One, we were in Missouri for a while, then we moved out to Idaho. And then kind of unexpectedly, God invited us into this new season where I am now the campus pastor, which is essentially the chaplain of a university. So um, I'm at Mount Vernon Nazarene University in Ohio. I've been on the job since July. So like <laughs> Everything's a little bit on fire, but it's fine. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Um, it's, it's such a different, such a different thing. Um, ministering with students, it's similar work, like preaching and you know the gospel. But like in terms of like working in higher ed, it's a very different situation. So, um, but the Lord, I felt called to the ministry when I was about fourteen. And to, I, when I say ministry, I mean like full time Christian vocational yeah. service. Everybody's called to ministry, but specifically through the church. Um, When I was about 14 or 15, but for a long time, didn't know what that was going to look like. I had some really gendered expectations of that, like, Mm -hmm. oh, it's supposed to be a missionary because that's what girls do in evangelicalism. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But really, um, as I discerned my call and journeyed for quite a long time and pursued education and experiences, um, the Lord invited me into the pulpit. And so I've been a preacher for, for many years now. And that just is my heart. My passion is proclaiming the gospel. I uh, two kiddos, a Josephine. We call her Jojo, though, because mm. that's super cute. And she's seven. And then we have Jack, and he's three and a half so that's fun and then again i feel like every i keep saying unexpectedly but i think my life is just a, a series of unexpected events yeah at this point in time um i was diagnosed with depression in college and i'd gone through an assortment of treatments um medication um but then that was no longer working it was like the side effects were going up and the uh, effectiveness was going down and this was not mm-hmm. a fun ride so i'm mm-hmm. got exposed to this new treatment uh, not so new anymore but it's called deep TMS transcranial magnetic stimulation and went through that process. And afterwards uh, my church had just come alongside me. Like we were pastoring at the time. They come alongside me and cared for me in this really specific way. And so I wrote basically, um, it's kind of poured out of me a love letter to my church, um, about their care for me. And a couple of friends shared it on social media, you know, like you do. Mm -hmm. And, um, an editor found it at Christianity Today of all the things. And so invited me to start uh, writing just articles, started writing articles on some small capacities there. And then in December of that year, um, an editor of a publishing house just came and said, hey, um, I think there might be a book in you. And I was like, I'm sorry. Who are you <laughs> Wrong email address. Um, because I, so much imposter syndrome, so much fear, so much all the things, right? Um, but the Lord, I realized as a process, and that had planted a seed in my heart, and it was a seed um, of resurrection. Mm-hmm. Um, ten years ago, when we started pastoral ministry. The Lord had just, we had been through this nasty conflict, and um, this leader who was helping us navigate the conflict said at the end of it, um, now we have to ask ourselves, is the resurrection enough to help us move forward? with this relationship. Mm. And in my head, I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? It's September. Like we talk about, we talk about that around Easter. Um, that's what we talk about resurrection come on you know my sins get wiped clean we have easter lilies and then i eat all the reese's peanut butter eggs right. and it's fine and that's it <laughs> um that's the end um and then we talk about yeah then we talk about the baby in december and all the things but um the question planted a seed in my heart like does the resurrection have to do with more than just wiping my slate clean is the resurrection power that was unleashed and you know that tomb was cracked open um is it at work even in me um, and not just in the big dramatic stuff. Like, I haven't lost a baby. I don't have an eating disorder. I wasn't abused as a child. Like, none of those, you know, big ticket things that you say, this is the story that needs redemption. But, you know, being di- so diagnosed with mental illness, um, having your vocation significantly shift, having your expectations of being this woman in ministry and you've been called and then, oh, wow, everyone hates me. Not really mm-hmm. everyone hates me, but getting feedback or pushback, um, dealing with some significant body image issues. Like, what does the resurrection have to say to the actual ordinary losses of my life? And so mm-hmm. that's the book that the Lord really in me to write um, with the help of a wonderful editor and that book came out um, October 1st man talk about vulnerability cuz like here's my story Wow ouch here it is and it's not um, a messy vulnerability. we'll talk about that further but you know it is my story but it continually points back to God's resurrection power um, so the book is part like this is the hurt that I experienced but it also this is the hurt that I caused mm-hmm. and this is how God has redeemed that and is redeeming that and um, And so people have been reading it and that's a bit startling for people Mm -hmm. to read that, you know, you're excited, but also horrified too. Um, But to hear people say, I felt seen by this book or I felt heard or wow, this is kicking me in the teeth. Like, I'm sorry, but I'm also not, I'm so glad. So glad the spirit is using this as a, as a tool for your sanctification because he surely, surely did that work in me through the writing of it. So.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting as we're recording, recording on, october 9th and it is actually mental health awareness week tomorrow yeah tomorrow is the day this is kind of like the week and um i'm talking about mental illness a lot like on my platform and in my stories so you have the very unique experience of struggling with mental illness from the pulpit like you kind of breezed over earlier that we use that word ministry a lot which i think is good i think that you know it's morphed into something that you don't have to be a leader in a church to have a ministry now. Oh absolutely. Um, yeah, no. Totally. But to be a actual in place minister from a pulpit and struggling with mental illness, like what what has that looked like? What has that been like?
1: Yeah. That has uh, been an interesting journey. So when I first, uh, I you know, I said I was diagnosed in college, um, but when I came um, to my first pastor, we were co-pastoring in a rural rural context in Missouri. And I would allude to it every now and again, but not very um, in depth, um, just kind of gloss over it. And some people just ignored it politely, <laughs> as if it were like a like a leaking flesh wound um, that they were grossed out by because they were uncomfortable with it, right? right. But then a couple people would come to me beside, behind the scenes and say, Me too, Mm. me too. And they have so many people's experience had been, especially from older generations and even for some specific contexts like rural context, Mm. um, there's often this impression that mental illness is a sign of weakness, um, but especially in the church, it is indication, um, always an indicator of sin. Mm. Uh, If you just had more faith, and if you just truly repented, and if you dug out whatever that secret's in, you're hiding and you're not talking about, um, then you would be delivered of this. And so to see someone deal with this in a chronic way, not just a circumstantial way, but a chronic way, um, from the pulpit was really interesting for them so in my new context my when i went to idaho i talked about it a little bit more explicitly as i was maturing myself um but this is and we'll talk i guess we'll talk about it a little bit later about when i think it's healthy and not healthy to use that but i do remember a moment when i was actually physically in the pulpit my husband was gone he was on a retreat um, so he couldn't take over that weekend um, but i'd been put on some bad meds like i was um they put me on some meds trying something new and it went very very badly but there was nothing I could do because my husband was out of town. I had two little kids, and I had to preach on Sunday two services. And I remember i I led the worship, and then someone else was leading prayer, and I had to go to the bathroom, cry and then get it together and then come out and be ready to preach after this person had prayed. And I remember standing in the pulpit and having to take this deep breath. Like I feel all of the tears are coming. Um, I'm going to fall apart in this space, but this is, this is not an okay time and place to do this. And so I remember specifically saying, I'm going to put this in a box and I'm going to revisit this later today. Holy spirit, get me through this space. And so I was able to preach, um, by power of the Holy spirit. And I went home and I just was able to unpack that and, um, ended up going back into TMS, you know, some counseling stuff, um, dealing with, with spiritual director. It was like my whole care my team of care. Right. I was mm-hmm. diving back into that space. And so right when I was kind of falling into that hole, that was not the time for me to talk about from the pulpit. But as I was processing and going through my, my healing and redemption, not redemption, like in that I was in sin, but like God's God's restorative work in me. Um, I began to talk about it into some individuals. Um, I also wrote about it at that time, like when I was in that dark space, but I didn't publish it for a while. I didn't publish it until I had my feet back on the ground. and so that I had to use some discernment there. So then later in that year I was able to talk about it not like, "Hey, I'm going to do a series on my mental health" because that really makes it about me, but rather right. as I'm preaching the gospel and we're talking about um our sins, but also the sins that have been, you know, wrought upon us and also just the brokenness we experience because we live in a fallen creation. I instead of just using some anonymous example, I would often talk about myself like experiencing this 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 pain and this loss and this hurt. Um and be able to say that, but this is what God is doing in me. And I'm not delivered. Um, I am not delivered from this thing, but the Lord is sustaining me in this place and has provided these specific means of grace to me means of grace in the form of a pill, the means of grace in the form of a machine that zapped my brain with a magnet, you know, uh, means of grace through the spiritual director who just, you know, kind of like beat me up a little bit every time and helped me come to a place of wholeness and, you know, of repentance in some areas of my life. And so I would work that into my ministry. It did not become my ministry. Mm. Um, and the people that needed that really were hungry to see that and experience that, um, found that they're, they felt heard. They felt seen. Several of them came and talked to me explicitly, sometimes just in passing, but but felt maybe I'm not disqualified. Mm. Maybe I'm not too broken. Maybe this piece of me is something I don't have to hide. Um, and so and as annoying as this sounds, but this isn't just a peek into my own personality. Like I want to be known for being an excellent preacher and being a, like a brilliant exegesis, um, you know, exegete and all, you know, all those things. And I want that to be the power of my ministry, but the power of my ministry has come through my weakest place. Mm-hmm. And it's like that dumb, like that is not right. what I wanted, you know, like, Oh, here comes the depressed preacher. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so that's awesome. But it's so biblical though, right? Like he must become greater. I must become less. And, you know, through my weakness, he has made strong. I'm like, thanks for that, Paul. So yep. Um, it has, my life is an example of that.
0: Yeah. I love the kind of like outline that you just presented, which is like ultimately what we're about to get into is like what healthy vulnerability looks like. Yeah. In, and, and I've had this conversation over and over with, with friends that are in ministry that you don't talk about your stuff on your platform while you're processing it yeah yeah I think that Mm -hmm. that's a pretty fair hard and fast rule which I don't tend to believe in yeah but but then that doesn't mean you don't talk about it (laughs) so we've got to like we've got to strike that balance of like you have to have your people that you can talk to about this stuff that you can process this stuff with having the discernment of what is appropriate to share and I love that you said that you were able to then use it as non-anonymous examples. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's yeah. so okay. We don't process our stuff on a pl- public platform, but that also means doesn't mean we hide it.
1: No, no, I think there's appropriate ways. And the the question for me, like, how do I determine? Okay, is this is this healthy vulnerability or is this messy crap sharing? Um, how do I determine the difference between that? And I think as I've been reflecting on that question. I think there's two things to consider in its motive and context. Um, I think it starts with motive and I think that informs the context. So if my motive is I need support right now, uh, the context I think needs to be a circle of, of trusting friends and a care team, whether that's, you know, it's accountability partners, it's friendships, it's your, it's your spouse, it's your doctor, it's your psychiatrist, it's all those things. So if you need support, uh, your leadership platform is not the place really to receive that, um, I don't, I don't think that's a healthy space, not for me. Um, if your motive is, I wanna to testify to God's faithfulness, not necessarily even God's deliverance, but God's faithfulness to you, I think that's a very appropriate thing to share publicly, to say, this is something I have or am struggling with, and this is how the Lord is meeting in me in that space, because it really directs the eye to the cross, right? Into the empty tomb and to God's work in us. Um, if your motive, I think, is confession, um, needing to, whether it confess, like I'm simply not perfect, which isn't necessarily a sin because that's you know, all in that space. Um, if you're wanting to, just to acknowledge, like I am human too, or if there's a specific thing that you need to confess, I think that has the possibility to be a public confession, but I think it's really wise to, to, invite others into that conversation to discern, like, does this point to Jesus or is this pointing to me, Mm -hmm. um, to have some people that you trust, um, and that are allowed to speak truth to you, allow them to process that with you. But then also there's the motive, and this is something that I've had to learn in myself is that I think it's what I I call strategic vulnerability. And I think that's a misuse of it. And, um, that is, is it to manipulate others? Mm. Is it to make excuses for behavior or is it a, to take a shortcut to report or uh, rapport or intimacy? Um, Mm. or is it for attention? So manipulation, making excuses, a shortcut to rapport or attention, stop doing that thing that is not healthy and you're going to make it worse (laughs) Um, for yourself. You're going to hurt others. So, um, that is not a healthy space to be in because you're clearly in need of something else. And so I've seen in the past ways in which I've probably used that in unwise ways and not, not consciously like, Oh, I'm going to use this as a manipulative tool, but rather, um, Hey, this would help me build a connection with this person. This would make me appear more human. Um, I don't think that's an appropriate use of vulnerability. Um, definitely not for attention, and certainly not for um, um, to make excuse for behavior. That um, that's that is an inappropriate use of that completely. So um, that's kind of what has guided me on my journey of determining what's healthy vulnerability and what's messy crap sharing.
0: Yes, I, li- I literally just made like a line graph of all of that yeah. as you were like talking about it because it's what is my motive and then what is the context and I think mm-hmm. I love that you you landed on like sometimes it's unintentional because yeah. I know that like sure. as my platform began to grow like earlier this year I would I had I did on occasion unintentionally messy crap share yeah we all do and we all do. But it was out look- of, right, it was out of, like, looking for pity or looking for support or looking for, uh. you know, or, or it being an excuse like, hey, guys, I haven't shown up in this space because, and instead of ending the sentence there, yeah, letting people in on things that they didn't necessarily need yeah. to be let in on. And I think that that's, like, that's a really, it, that is not a difficult heart check to do. What's my motive here? What's the mm-hmm. context going to be? And maybe That's... additionally,
1: what do I need? Maybe, I don't know. What do I need? Yeah. Um, and oh, maybe that part goes into the motive as well. But right. if I truly am needing support, like, can that help me also guide me into where I, where I determined this?
0: Yeah. It's almost I, like, I it's, okay, look at the motive and look at the context. What, what do I need from that? Is, yeah. is, is my motive to testify? is the Mm -hmm. and is the context for that my platform then like i need to share this like god is pushing me and the spirit is pushing me to share this but if my motive is support or you know a need then like the context does need to be my care team and i need to reach out and ask for help yeah exactly um so specifically in reference to leadership
1: Yeah. yeah what
0: does healthy vulnerability look like
1: Yeah, I think I've done this well and I think I've done this poorly. Um, I think times where I've done it poorly, um, it's when I really wanted to say, okay, we're, uh, you know, this is a team. Like I was the, my husband and I were the leaders, but this is a team. We're all in this together. Let's all just kind of share. And there were, and I was very honest and like laid it all on the table about like things I was struggling with, um, with my mental health in particular or with particular um, individuals that were causing some trauma. But I realized later that, Oh, this is gonna, this hurts a little bit. Um, I made that space unsafe for them Mm. because when they were in need, they were more concerned about caring for me, the leader, um, and they could not receive the care they needed from me.
0: Mm.
1: And I have regrets about that. Um, I wish I would have led differently in that space and recognized I can be honest with you, um, but I cannot look to you as my primary support team and that in that space when we were in that particular context I didn't feel like I had a lot of close friends that I really trusted deeply and so partly it was like these are my people right um, but I don't know if that was an appropriate stewardship of my leadership at that time and I think I don't know that I did damage but I think I um, I just made that space unsafe for them in certain mm. ways. And that, um, I do regret, I wish I would have done that differently. And so now I'm in this new context with um, a new team and I'm, so my goal with them is to, I want to be honest with them about where I'm at, but I do not want them to be my primary bearers of my burden. And so I do bring things to the table in staff meeting. we always say what's good right now, what's broken right now. I always share, I don't sit like stand aloof from that. I share the things that are hurting, um, but I also, the Lord has blessed us with, in this new space, a circle of friends that are becoming heart friends. And I'm going to them for that mm-hmm. wisdom, guidance, and support, um, as opposed to falling to pieces with my staff. And so I think that's beginning to bear fruit. I think they are trusting me with their with their own stuff and allowing me to come alongside them, as opposed to constantly worrying, like, am I gonna trigger her? Mm-hmm. <laughs> am I gonna send her into a spiral? And um, so I wanna be a better steward of the people that I've been entrusted with um, to lead them well. Um, and I need to do that by being a little bit more self-aware and um, seeking out my care and support from the appropriate places.
0: And I love that, like in the aspect of, it, of leading a team. Life passes quickly, but truth lasts forever. The CSB Legacy Note-Taking Bible offers beautiful cover options, including a genuine leather cover with a unique closing strap. From the moments that mark your spiritual journey to the
2: truths from God's Word that change your life, the CSB Legacy Note-Taking Bible is a perfect place to collect the truths you cherish and you walk with God. Write it down. Pass it on. Order your copy today at Lifeway.com. Hey, okay, so I have something super exciting to tell you about. Have you ever thought about getting a life coach? Or what about a business coach? Or have you just found yourself wishing you had a group of women to do life with and learn from in a Christ-centered way that focuses on using your gifts to further the kingdom? Well, I got you. I, as in the girl named Blake, the one talking, recently launched Group Coaching. So group coaching is basically like a course and one-on-one life and business coaching had a baby and that baby is the best of both worlds i am so excited about the opportunity to come alongside you and help you grow learn more about who christ says you are and what that looks like in 2020. so if you're interested or if you have questions or if you're like heck yes let's go you can find everything you need at crappychristianpodcast.com slash coaching.
0: You know a lot of people are, in some form or fashion are leading a team, right? I mean, and so uh, that idea that there's a degree of vulnerability to be had that builds trust and that makes you a safe space to, for them to share, but that you're not like dumping all your crap. Yep. But that you but that you still need a place to do that. Yes, you still do. But maybe like will that
1: somehow impede them from being able to trust you as a leader? And not because they didn't trust me like I was like going to do bad things. But like they didn't want to hurt me. They right. didn't want to burden me. They didn't want to like make me feel more anxious. And I appreciated that. And I know that was a gesture of love from them. Um, but sometimes I look back and I think if I had invited other people into that space of my support in a different way, could I have led more faithfully there. Um, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's... But I'm doing
1: I'm doing it differently now. And so I, I can, that's what I, all I can say is I've grown. I'm growing.
0: Yeah. So while we're talking about like being in a leader, leadership position and all that comes yeah. with that and kind of learning how to take care of yourself, what are outside of, okay, like not always sharing everything with your team and having people that that's safe to do that with, uh-huh. what are some of the things that you've put into place to mm-hmm. care for yourself while you're, while you're actively caring for others.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, first you know, there's a couple of personal practices that I do that I, I don't, I don't journal every day, but I do process things as, um, in, through writing sometimes. Um, uh, I have a very, very open relationship with my spouse in terms of like checking in with where we're at with each other and where I'm at, like with mental health in particular. Um, I have a circle of friends that, um, they're, they're new, like I said, but they have been such, God's gift like I've never had a circle of friends like this and I'm so eager to just really lean into that um, but some other other resources that I've used in the past um, I have done counseling before and that for extended periods of time and that has been very very helpful um, that's not something I'm seeking out right now but one thing that I think I am in the process of seeking out is a spiritual director. Um, and that's someone who's not a counselor, but it's someone who comes alongside you who's actually trained in that particular, this particular area, spiritual direction to help you pay attention to what God is doing in you, to name that and to seek obedience. And so um, that's a really helpful tool um, just for personal development and self-awareness um, and say like, what God, what's, what's God stirring in you and how can you obey? That's been a very, very helpful resource as well.
0: Can you explain that idea of a spiritual director a little bit more? I've never heard yeah. of that before.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's um, oftentimes more um, common in more liturgical traditions. um, And it's, it's really an ancient practice of kind of this coming alongside, I can compare it kind of to um, almost like a midwife in a way. They're not, they're not birthing the baby, but they are naming some of the things that are happening in you and saying, maybe you need to pay attention to this. Can you pay Mm. attention to that thing? Um, and what, what is God saying here? Um, they are, that's actually, you can be certified in this. It's a, it's not just I. i I'm a good listener. I can be a spiritual director. Um, it's actually a, a skill and the specific tools that people gain through that. And so they use different tools to do that, whether it be, you know, some of them really lean towards some Enneagram studies. That's a kind of a reemerging thing. Um, there's, um, just like the Ignatian practices of, of reflection and, um, you know, contemplative prayer, just really being still before the Lord and inviting the spirit to come and to direct that conversation.
0: So you brought up like Enneagram. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's just talk about the Enneagram for like two minutes because I haven't really done a deep dive on the Enneagram on my show in a while and I love it. So what's your what type are you?
1: Uh, I'm a three. I identify as a three with a four wing.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You
1: feel that? You feel that?
0: I feel yeah. that. I feel yeah, that. If you, I mean, if, you, if you read
1: my book, you're like, holy crap, this is the threiest book ever.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so what has like what is some guidance oh, that you've gotten God. in this Stop like it. vulnerability leadership yes. with being a three.
1: Okay. So when I I, I, I was exposed like, to integrate back in seminary. Are you a three? I'm an eight. Oh, you're an eight. Okay. Okay, yeah. I won I th- I think in my heart I thought, like, oh I'm gonna be and then I was a three. And so I was exposed to three when I was in seminary or to Ennegram enneagram when I was in seminary. But honestly, and this, this sounds so cheesy, but you do not. I found that you don't receive the enneagram until like it's right. It's the right time in your life. And for me, seminary wasn't the time. And, um, I was in this really anxious space, just really struggling with a lot of things. And the Enneagram kind of reemerged in my life. And my husband and I were on this little study retreat together and we decided to listen to some podcasts together about the Enneagram and they're reading his, they're doing his, he's five. And I was like, Oh yeah, that's so true. Wow. That's so true about you. And then they uh, are just talking about the three and I start like dropping naughty words at the podcast. (laughs) <laughs> I am so like, that's not true, but except it's so true. And I feel so ashamed Yeah, and it was extremely traumatizing. And so, um, but I realized I, I just felt that nudge, like there is truth here and I need to explore this. Um, and so I didn't, all I did was I got a book. It was actually Christopher Hortz's book, the sacred Enneagram. I just started reading yes. and started talking to, um, my spiritual director about it. She was, she's a four, but she was, um, very insightful, but naming those things in me with the three thing. And, um, it really uncovered a lot of wounds and it. Um, initially it was really horrible because it brought up a lot of shame. It brought up a lot of insecurity, naming all of my imposter syndromes, feeling of being able to find out as this failure and how deeply like avert, like I had such a strong aversion to failure that it was really incapacitating me and causing so much anxiety. Um, and then that fall, last fall, um, Again, still struggling, wrestling with these things. I'm aware of these wounds. I'm aware of what the things are, but I don't necessarily feel like I've been delivered of them. And, like, what does this look like to live faithfully? And this guy comes in and says, Hey, we need to chat. And I'm like, All right, cool. That always makes a pastor nervous because you never yeah, know what they're the going to chat about. You're like, wow. right. Um, But ultimately, it came down to um, the Lord was working through him and just said, I see you. I see you are so prideful, but you are so fragile. And we love you, but we're not going to be your trophy. And you need to stop preaching for a while. And for me, preaching was like the indicator that I was a pastor. For me, especially as a female in ministry, like I am on a pulpit. Do you mm-hmm. see that? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm sorry, no, I have a series planned on Ruth. <laughs> and he goes, um, he goes, I don't care. We can hear about Ruth any old time. You need to get on the pulpit. And I was like, screw you, yo! It was like such. I yelled at him my office. Da-da-da-da-da. But then um, I recognized the Lord is at work there, so I stepped down. Like Tommy just preached for like. Three months and uh my husband and um it was this season of anytime the spotlight was turned to me, I'd move some I'd put somebody else there. Mm-hmm. Anytime I could have spoken, I invited someone else to speak. Anytime I should have been leading, I let someone else do that because it was so contrary to what I wanted mm-hmm. and so contrary to my pattern. And in that space, the Lord was so faithful to just show up repeatedly and just say, See, look at that, you're not in the spotlight, and I still love you. Hey, look at this. You're not succeeding in all these ways. And wow, you are still the beloved. Mm. Um, And that is a truth that is going to be an eternal process of me internalizing that. And for all of eternity, I will lean into that. But um, he was so faithful just to show up in such a specific way over and over again for like two or three solid months and then when it came time to go back into the pulpit i was afraid like i don't want to go about fall back into these toxic patterns and these habits and i don't want to become addicted to the spotlight and this attention and derive all my meaning and value and ah and i had shared this very high level but i shared this a little bit with a very small bible study at church and this lady came up to me and she said um she said i just want you to know when you first came i told the lord she's a lady she can't be my preacher, my pastor, but she can be a speaker. I'll let her be a speaker, and my in my heart. And she said, the Lord convicted me. Who are you to determine who um, I have poured my spirit upon? And he she said, Stephanie, I've watched you for however many years now. The spirit has been poured upon you, and this is what you are called to do. And you need to get back in that pulpit. And I'm like, okay. What are you doing in my life? And so it just was so clear. And there are times in our lives, like it is not always that way, but there have been these windows of time where God has just been so explicit in his direction in my life and saying yes to that horrible, painful situation. It's like that. And, you know, it was a door to the dawn trainer where you're ripping the, the scales off that horrible cousin Eustace. That's what it felt like of ripping those scales off and going down and down and down. Um, and the Lord saying, this is the way to healing. It's not always that explicit, but for that season, it very much was. And it has borne good fruit in my life. I feel like I'm flourishing in a new way. And I feel like those in my circle have been hopefully nourished in part by my obedience to the empowerment of the Spirit.
0: And I just I have to say that I love that as a three and appearance and popularity being incredibly important, that God used other people to speak. You need to step down and you need to step up. Right? Right? Like he is so like good and intentional in the ways that he speaks to us. And I love that that was perfectly tailored to your Enneagram type. <laughs>
1: <laughs> thank you for that, for that, Lord. Yeah, it's true. Right. It's true. And, the, you know, I, there's pros and cons. The, the, the Enneagram could obviously can be misused and, like, Absolutely. used to justify my behaviors and all those things. But, and, but I just kind of get uptight when people say that. I'm like, you know what? I'm sorry if that's not a helpful tool for you. But for me, God has used that to bring about transformation in me. And so thanks be to God for that particular tool. Now, if you like another tool, I'm so happy for you. Absolutely. But this tool has been God's gift of grace to me, and I thank him for it.
0: Yeah, I get a little defensive about the enneagram, just because I feel like people just like they like want to not like it. I'm like, okay, don't like it, but just don't come talking about it. That's cool fine. Cool for you. Cool for That's you. That's great. <laughs> um, <laughs> Could be your
1: unhealthy, unhealthy seven self or whatever they are. <laughs> right.
0: Exactly. So we're at the end of the episode. We do our rapid fire. We just answered one of them. What is your enneagram type? Cool. The second one is what is something that can always pull you out of a funk.
1: That's a hard question because, like, sometimes with depression, um, nothing. But
0: right, um, so, I don't mean to What can pull you saying, out of a depression? What can pull you out of? A yes,
1: depression? funk. Usually, going outside. Yeah. Like going for a walk, um, going out, just being away from my desk, being away from the computer, being out in nature, um, going for a walk, going for a bike ride, going for a hike—that kind of thing—usually um, is able to kind of clear my mind and help me shift my attitude.
0: Yeah, for sure. And what is the last thing you watched on TV?
1: I have recently started re-watching "Call the Midwife," um, for the BBC show "Call the yeah, Midwife." Yeah. Back to season one, it's on Netflix now, and because that show, like I just, I've been, my job is kicking me in the teeth. It's a very intense job, and um, sometimes I come home, I'm just really soul weary, and that job, that show, um, there's a lot of hard stuff that happens in that show, but ultimately, it. It, it is a, a show about hope and it's about life and it's about new beginnings. And so I just watch it and I just cry when the babies are born and my husband yeah. just, you know, watches With something else on it. his phone. It's yeah. Fine. Yeah. yeah. It's fine.
0: British television <laughs> is great for that kind of like, oh, at, I love it. like the great British nice. baking show is like a weighted blanket. <laughs> That's great. Like it's so good yeah. for me because it's That's like so the complete, it's calm. It's non-competitive. It's like everybody's, so nice. I'm like, yes, this is what I need in my life right
1: now. <laughs> this is this is the kingdom of God breaking yes, in exactly. right now. Exactly.
0: <laughs> Stephanie, tell people where they can find and follow you.
1: Yes. Okay. So um website stephanielobdell.com. Um you can find me on there and Instagram and Twitter mostly, some on Facebook as well. Um and then my book is Signs of Life, Resurrecting Hope from Ordinary Losses.
0: Yeah. Stephanie, yeah. thank you so much for sharing your heart and your wisdom and kind yeah. of guiding us through